Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 670 to score. Hit and run with me, Matt Spiegel. And uh, my guest is Steve Albini, guest co-host today, baseball lover who drifted away. How dare you drift away from the game during the 80s and 90s when you were busy making records like this one uh, by the Pixies and others. We spent some time during the break talking about Javi Baez and the way that he plays the game um, and just how, how exquisite it is to watch guys with true passion and creativity and just instincts uh, off the charts. And all of that has to be backed up by a confidence to just go ahead and try stuff. I, what I, I love watching Little League Baseball because it's kids just having the time of their lives really, really enjoying playing baseball, right? And yes. you can go by you can, any Sandlot game, like any, any public diamond where there's a pickup game. It's people just having a great time playing baseball, laughing, smiling, constantly enjoying themselves. Javi baseball, Javi Baez is doing that, but with like Spider-Man skills, you know? It's fantastic to see somebody at that level who, who clearly just loves playing baseball. Absolutely. And there's, there's a few guys like that. A lot of them played together on Team Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic, and that whole collective was fun to watch. But no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's funny because today is uh, the third annual Little League Classic in Williamsport, and this is where the Cubs are today. And I, I was reading about what's going to happen there today, Steve, and that's that the Cubs arrive this morning in Williamsport and get greeted by the Little Leaguers at, at the airport, and then they ride the bus together over to the facility. The, so the kids and the ballplayers are riding the bus together. There's the Pirates as well. They watch a, the, the Cubs and the Pirates watch a Little League game or two in multiple fields at this complex there in Williamsport, and then the Little Leaguers get to watch the Pirates and Cubs tonight as they play in a 3,000-seat minor league stadium. Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that? They should let the Little Leaguers play on the Major League Dimension Diamond. Like, let the, dude, let the little dude pitch from 60 feet away. That would be fantastic. And then they should make the Cubs and Pirates play in the Little League stadium. And let's see how, you know, how fast does a 100-mile-an-hour fastball get on you from 45 feet away. That would, be, that would be fantastic. Now, this is where I'm required to make the joke and wonder if one of those Little League kids could close tonight <laughs> for, for the Cubs if they get a lead and need to protect it in the ninth inning. Actually, Craig Kimbrell's going to come off the disabled list today, so, so he'll be back. And uh, yesterday they used Tyler Chatwood and Rowan Wick, and it was, it was fun to watch that game. And the ghost of Three Finger Brown. And, uh, yes, yeah. they, they were all there. Um, Gabby Hartnett and the Homer and the Glow and the whole thing. You, you mentioned earlier that you think Wrigley is the best place to play a game. Best place to see a game. Best place sure. to see a game. Because you're right on top of the action there. The, you know, it's, you're so close to the field. There's so little foul territory. And, um, you know, every seat 
you're you're right on top of the game, and and I I very much enjoy seeing games there. And quality National League teams played there even when there were the old school Cubs playing there. You know? <laughs> even when they were bad, the quality teams would come in. Um, have you seen a game at Fenway yet? I have not. You have not. You need to. Um, the problem with that place for men like me is the people. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, why, why would the people be a problem? It's Boston. <laughs> and that means... You've heard them, right? <laughs> I've lived among them. I've lived among them. You mean where they embrace the, uh, the generational racism like an yeah. overcoat handed down from dad? And their speech sounds like somebody closing a rusting gate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not everybody, <laughs> all right? Not everybody's like that. No, the real problem with that ballpark is that the seats are too narrow, even the expensive ones. You're like wedging yourself into there. Like, my God! I've eaten too much, and I've paid too much to be sitting like this. That is, uh, that is indeed a problem. Um, uh, but so this, uh, the, the way that Javi plays the game, the, as I was mentioning, like the aggressive, the fun, the imaginative, and the fearlessness, it seems to be what you like about guitar players, too, if I'm, if I'm thinking correctly about the way you've talked about it. You like guitar players that make the guitar sound like something other than a guitar. Well, mainly I like people who inhabit their own skill set willfully rather than trying to ape other people or trying to, you know, fit an idiom. You know, like idiomatic playing to me is much, much less interesting than people who are just sort of being genuinely expressive. Hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to draw too tight of a parallel, but I absolutely love the way that Javi will showboat immediately after making a tag or making a play without waiting for the call. I love that. That's like my favorite thing about his defensive play is like when he owns somebody, he owns them right in their face and then, you know, high steps it away. And I just love that. And is there, is there a guitar parallel to that when you've, when you've made when you've made the crazy sound come out of your axe at a shellac gig, is there? Uh, no, I mean, I, uh, my skills as a guitar player are quite are, are extremely modest. I, I recognize that I'm not technically good at the instrument, but I've I've created a vocabulary that I'm comfortable with, and I can use that to make music. You know, and I, that's I'm I consider myself a competent guitar player. And like I said, if Todd has a good show, yeah. and Bob and I show up, then it's a good show. Do you um? Did you invent the guitar belt that you wear? Uh, I don't know. I'm certain it's such a to me. It seems like such an obvious solution. I'm certain other people must have done it, but I do wear my guitar around my waist rather than over my shoulder. All right. So how so how does that work? Because everybody's seen a guitar strap, but the guitar belt seems to be ingenious and probably a hell of a lot healthier for your back. Well, I started doing it because when I was a kid, I, the first band I was in, I bought a bass guitar and it was extremely heavy. It was made by the PV Corporation. I don't know if you're familiar with their instruments, but they're very Soviet in design. They're yes, like, and and and. and the heir to the PV throne, Jake, pitched briefly here for the White Sox. <laughs> no, no relation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so and when I would wear my bass around my neck, um, my shoulder hurt, my clavicle hurt, my neck hurt. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I devised a way of wrapping the strap around my waist so that the, all the weight was carried on my hips as sprung weight, as they say hmm. in, in motorcycle mechanics. And it was just much more comfortable. Um, and I just stuck with it. When I switched to guitar, I, I did the same thing. And I, I've just always done it. And it just seems, it makes logical sense to me. Everywhere I move, the guitar comes with me. I don't need to exert any energy to move it. And uh, I also don't have anything wrapped around my neck and straining my neck and my back. So is there, is there a patent pending on this? or is It's it... just a normal guitar strap. 
I just wear it unconventionally. There's nothing, hmm. nothing. There are some. So there's no way to profit off this. Have you thought about this? <laughs> Only by being good at it. Yeah, that's literally. The, oh, yeah. People pay, well, to come, people pay to come see it. That's literally all there is to it. Yeah, I, I suppose. Um, all right. So there's, there's the guitar belt and the fluffy coffee is the fluffy coffee. Yeah. Th- this is where you should be profiting. This should be. And, we, we, and people can Google it if they want to look it up. I know it involves cinnamon and the coffee brewed through the cinnamon, which is probably better than the dreck that you're finally drinking, courtesy of our beloved Entercom overlords here. And there's maple syrup involved. Yeah. And I've had them. They're delicious. It's a, it's a latte with a, a lot of foam on it, so it's kind of a cappuccino. But mm-hmm. there's maple syrup in the milk, and there's cinnamon in the coffee. That's it. That's all there is to it. It it's fantastic. You can do it at home. Any any coffee shop in America could make one. They just won't, uh-huh. you know. Uh, and it's a it's a delicious coffee drink. We drink them, you know, by the quart at at Electrical at the studio that I work at. Um, and no one can remember precisely who invented this particular uh, recipe. It was definitely invented at our studio, but nobody can pinpoint the moment or can take credit for it. Although, if once we had come up with the fluffy coffee, yeah. I had immediately abandoned the studio and opened a cabana that did nothing but sell fluffy coffees, yes. I would doubtless be way better off. Yeah, that's a, that's a sad truth, uh, probably, about the business. All right, a couple, a couple things to, uh, to get through before we, we say goodbye. Um, your least favorite quality in a baseball player. Your least favorite quality in a baseball player. Uh, the sort of flat earth level radical conservatism that is, uh, you know, best exemplified by um, and any number of baseball pundits who have left the game and then gone on to be political hmm. pundits. Like the rabid conservatism just doesn't doesn't fit with the sort of liberating quality of playing in a, an extremely diverse sport with a um, um, very, very egalitarian mentality, very sort of... Yeah, um, yeah. That, I, I, that, that makes sense. Your least favorite quality in a musician? Uh, presumptive egotism. You know, when someone just expects to be loved by virtue of the fact that they are Good. A, a jerk. You know, there there was a period where if you were an exception, if you were an amazing, fantastic musician, really, really great at it and everybody loved your music, then you could get away with being a jerk. Right. And somehow that morphed over time into people presuming that as long as I'm a jerk, then people will like and respect me. Uh huh. Yeah. Those those, those kind of came together. Um, all right. Zach Withers, do we have uh, do we have the walk up music? I, I have um, I, I know what my walk up music would be were I a closer or really where I come to play. But I've thought about it more as a closer. But yours, I was surprised to hear you go um, to ZZ Top. Yeah. So which track is this from ZZ Top? Master of Sparks. Yes. Yeah. So why crank it for a moment here, Zach? Such a riff. So this would get you in the mood as you approach the play? Uh, yeah, it's just also a long instrumental passage that is all awesome. It kicks ass from top to bottom. There you go. 
Um, I would go with um, I would go with uh, go ahead and play mine. I'd go with Alice in Chains, who probably represents a um, a version of '90s '90s um, rock that you loathe. I'm just guessing, but I don't know. Sure, I'm largely ignorant of it, but yeah. Okay, sure. Man in the Box um, for me as a closer as I approach the mouth. Oh, see, I dream of walking really slowly and really intimidatingly to the mound from the bull. And just the image of my of, of my nuts is just the majesty of my junk as I approach the mound. I mean, that guy's singing like his nuts are in a vice at the moment. <laughs> I, I think they're hanging, uh, hanging large and low, but, you know, that's, we're all open to our own musical interpretation. And then I wanted to mention this because you guys do amazing work with Letters to Santa. You and your wife, Heather. And the website that people can go to is unconditionalgiving.org. And Letters to Santa has been an amazing thing for a long, long time where you guys are, are answering letters that kids send to Santa, having worked with the post office, and end up delivering lots and lots of presents on Christmas Day to these kids who are shocked to have had their letters actually responded to. Yeah, it, um, it's largely the heads of very poor families who have written letters out of desperation uh, looking for somebody to help them. And uh, the only cure for poverty is money. So we raise uh, as as much money as we can, and then we give it to poor people on Christmas Day. Um, The vehicle for it, uh, one of the principal vehicles for it, is a 24-hour marathon show that the Second City does every year um, in November. This year it's going to be November 25th. Um, And uh, it's a 24-hour marathon show where all the performers donate their time and all the proceeds go to the Letters to Santa project. And over the years, we have raised and given away a couple of million dollars wow. directly to poor families in Chicago. Um, my wife, Heather, runs the charity, which um, is now branching out into other cities. And at the moment, she's in Oakland uh, for a charitable event with Kim Deal, formerly of the uh, Pixies, now of the Breeders, uh-huh. performing uh, breeder songs uh, to raise money for the the umbrella organization is called Poverty Alleviation Charities. And uh, Poverty Alleviation is the charity behind the Letters to Santa program and a bunch of other uh, programs that you can look at on the website. That's awesome. Unconditionalgiving.org. And the 24 Hours of Improv is just an awesome event. You have, a, you have performed at the 24-Hour Improv show. I, I have, indeed. I sang, uh, I sang Billy Joel with Andrew Mason, the founder of Groupon. Yeah. He, he was interviewed in a in a kind of a uh, Dick Cavett style, uh, and afterward, uh, it was revealed that he was that he knew Billy Joel's discography by heart at the piano. And so I I asked, is, "Hey, is there anyone out there who's really good at singing Billy Joel songs?" And, and I was a plant. <laughs> yeah, and you know, just like as as suits the test kitchen that we're speaking to you from. <laughs> here's one we baked earlier. <laughs> Speaks came out and absolutely crushed it as. As Billy Joel with Andrew Mason. Uh, scenes from an Italian restaurant, as if uh, it just you know came off the top of my head and Andrew Mason's <laughs> head. That was a blast. Um, all right, so was this. Steve Albini, thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk to you. Absolutely. You too. Uh, I look forward to it uh, at a poker table soon. Steve Albini is the man. Uh, unconditional giving, unconditionalgiving.org is the website. Anything else I should mention, Steve, where they can find you? Does Electrical have a website? Electricalaudio.com. It's a fairly conventional recording studio mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, just happens to be awesome. That's about the only difference. And, and if people have been dreaming their whole lives of making a record with you, they, they can do that. Yeah, sure. That's what I do for a living. I do it every day. Yeah, every damn day. So go, go and check it out and make records with Steve. All right, it's Hit and Run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel, and with you until noon, Chris Bryant got revenge on a fan who screamed at him yesterday in Pittsburgh. We'll explain and play the audio for you next on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now the 1-1 from Wick. A swing and a ground ball is short. Baez has it. Throws to Rizzo. And the Cubs win the ball game. Rowan Wick gets the save and a hug from Jonathan Lucroy, his battery mate. Cubs congratulate one another. A much-needed win for the Cubs here at PNC as they beat the Buccos by a score of two to nothing. Johnny typically is able to pitch out of some really uh, horrible jams, uh, and he did. KB, in spite of making a couple mistakes, comes back with a big home run. But we took advantage of one error on their part. Uh, we had opportunities, and so the day was pretty balanced effort and lack of scoring runs. I mean, either the team could push it across. Their pitcher, Balt, has really reinvented himself. He's a great athlete. And Johnny, after some tough moments, uh, showed, showed his what he's made of. That's Joe Madden talking about John Lester, and you heard the highlight from 670, the score. Lester has been so bad for a, a stretch here for the Cubs, but then these last two starts, he has reasserted himself, and it's fascinating to see the way that he's doing it. The aging ace that is John Lester, who loves the cat and mouse game, he now has to play. He no longer is a stuff guy. He no longer can get by doing some of the things he used to do. He has to be smarter. And he's so tough mentally. Um, and this has manifested in different ways throughout his career. It's hit and run on 670. The score, Matt Spiegel here with you up until the top of the hour when Anthony Heron will be in on the score. But Lester's toughness can manifest in a lot of different ways. Uh, often it will be with him just refusing to give in and throw the batter what he thinks the batter is trying to get. You know, if he's not, if Lester's not getting a certain part of the strike zone, um, you know, the temptation to just go ahead and get a strike can be large. It, but, but Lester has shown a willingness to go ahead and walk somebody and deal with the next guy. I'm just not going to give in. Toughness can manifest that way. Uh, it, it's a weird way that his toughness now has to manifest. He still has things to learn, especially about this version of himself. He was saying yesterday that he can't throw the fastball like he used to. Like... It, 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 like it, there were moments in his career where he would say, okay, well, this is a good moment. I've slowed them down. 
with uh, with the off-speed stuff or with enough cutters or maybe that big slow curve that he throws every once in a while. I've slowed them down. Now here's the time where I can just blow my fastball by him because he's not ready for that. But I think he's been trying to do that in some of the starts that have gone really poorly. And yesterday he said that he didn't do that. Here's uh, John Lester talking about his fastball after the game. He says it's not the same as what it used to be. Finally, I got out of my hard-headedness and you know, as far as challenging guys and you know, falling behind counts and, and kind of giving in, you know, I, I feel like that's really bit me in the rear end this year as far as, you know, still thinking that I can throw my heater you know, by guys. So today, I was, especially with the way Brault was throwing, I knew that, you know, we had to, regardless of the base runners, I knew that I just couldn't give in and, and you know, throw a heater. So that kind of explains the, the five walks a little bit. You know, I just, I knew I had to make, you know, me and Lou knew we had to make really precise pitches today. So knew they had to make really precise pitches, and he just refused to give in and throw the fastball to get strikes because he thought it might get jacked around. So, and he, he didn't. He threw some junk. He threw some stuff just off the plate. He threw some off-speed stuff, tried to get them to chase a little bit. Sometimes they didn't, and he'd walk guys and get in massive amounts of trouble. But then he'd get out of it. This is what Lester has to be these days. And maybe it's why you don't want him in a one-game playoff should the Cubs be unfortunate and make the wild card. Maybe it's why you don't want him to start games one and five in a seven-game series. Maybe you don't want that anymore. But you're definitely going to give that guy a start. And you're going to be okay if he gets a couple, I think, in a playoff series because he knows what the hell he's doing and pays attention and adjusts. It's a fascinating moment for this rotation. It really is. As you look around and see how everybody is succeeding um, at different ways, different levels, and sometimes they're still losing games when guys succeed, right? Hendricks and Quintana and Darvish, all brilliant the three games before this one, and they were all losses. I mean, Quintana last time came off the 14 Ks through six inning against the Phillies, and that was a loss. Quintana going today for the Cubs. His last eight starts, he's 6-0. and The team is 7-1. and Quintana, in 47 and two-thirds innings pitched, has 50 strikeouts and just seven walks over those last eight starts. Given up 44 hits with the seven walks. That's 51 over 50. That's a very, very low walks plus hits per innings pitched for Jose Quintana over these last eight starts. And he gets a chance to go today. But goodness, I heard our friend Kevin Zipak talking about um, who might start one game for the Cubs if it was a one-game playoff? Which guy are you going with at this point? Quintana has shown you some ability. Hendricks is trustworthy. Lester is a postseason proven killer. And Darvish has the best stuff and is the one who you can conceive of thoroughly dominating and winning a game one nothing if you need to, 2 nothing if you need to. If Darvish keeps going like this through the end of the year, then he's my And if Darvish keeps going like this through the end of the year and you, you win your division, which I do believe they will with 39 games to go, I believe they are still the cream of a mediocre National League Central. I believe they will still rise to the top. And if Darvish continues to be this guy, then Darvish gets the ball in game one for me. It's, uh, it's quite an interesting moment for this rotation, isn't it? 312-644-6767 is the phone number if you want to hop on in. Tyler Chatwood used in high leverage yesterday. 
That was good to see. Rowan Wick finishes the game. We have reports that Craig Kimbrell is coming back off the injured list today. Brandon Kinsler should be available again today after throwing, what, 23 pitches the other night in the walk-off loss to Pittsburgh. And he admitted that towards the end, his legs were getting a little wobbly. He was tired. That's just how it goes sometimes when you come off that injured list and and have to go right away. Bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Your Western Conference champion Chicago Wolves will open the season on Saturday, October 5th. For group and season tickets, visit chicagowolves.com. And the bottom of the hour brought to you by Lakeside Bank. Mortgage rates are amazing now, but trusting your money to an online firm? Really? Call Lakeside Bank. Your own personal Lakeside mortgage banker will be with you all the way. For a mortgage, personal is best. Lakeside Bank, it's about time. All right, so check this out. Yesterday, uh, Chris Bryant has a rough game in the field. He makes an error in the bottom of the fifth, ends up contributing to uh, a bases-loaded, nobody-out situation for John Lester that he gets out of. He also got out of a bases-loaded situation in the first. But then in the sixth inning, Bryant has another chance on defense in the bottom of the sixth. Nothing for two in the game. Bounces one to third. Bryant backs up. Bobbles the ball. An error on Bryant. He tried to back up to get a better hop. But when he backed up, he didn't reach down far enough. And Bryant charged with his second error of the game. And that one... Could have been a double play had he gloved it cleanly. That's So not only is it not a double play, it's not an out. It's the second error for Chris Bryant. Ends up leading to first and second, nobody out for Lester, and he's got to get out of it again in the sixth inning. And he does get out of both of those jams. Gotten another jam in the seventh. That's when Tyler Chatwood came in, ended up pitching two scoreless innings. Pitched very, very well to Chatwood. It was great to see. Um, and after, after uh, Lester had had done his job and Chatwood had come in and started to do his job, Chris Bryant had a chance to bat in the top of the seventh of a scoreless game. Chris Bryant drives one in the air, deep left field, back toward the wall. It's got a chance. Gone! Chris Bryant with a line drive, home run to left. Cubs lead one to nothing. Bryant homers. It's one nothing. Score ends up being two nothing after a, an error on the catcher allows, uh, I believe it was Ian Happ, to score and uh, on Elias Diaz, who made the error. And then after the game, Chris Bryant was talking in the locker room and was talking about a fan who apparently was barking at him and making fun of him about the errors. And he was the fan was doing that just before Bryant had that at bat you just heard in the seventh. But, like, it's really loud. I, heard him. I don't really know what he said, but he's making fun of me because I made two errors. <laughs> You heard the errors part. You don't know exactly <laughs> how you used it. Hit a home run. Was that, did it motivate you? Yeah, it's really like this one second. Like, when he's lifting his leg up. That's awesome. So Brian heard the fan ripping him for making the two errors and immediately homers on the first pitch. That had to feel good. Cubs-Pirates going tonight in Williamsport. I mentioned some of the details of this Little League Classic that's going on today. The Cubs have a chance tonight to uh, get what would technically be technically be a win for a road series. But it's, uh, it, it's not a home game for the Pirates, really, either. It is a neutral site here in Williamsport. It would technically count as a road series win if the Cubs indeed do get it done tonight. 
But boy, that'd be a fitting way to end the uh, the brutal streak of losing all these consecutive series on the road. They haven't won a road series since May 17th through 19th in Washington. They have not won a single road series against the division all year long. Woof! Unreal. They've got a chance to win a road series uh, with a win tonight. But then after that, they get to come home for a homestand that begins with games against the Giants this week at Wrigley Field. By the way, tonight for this Little League Classic, because there is travel here in the middle of this series, both teams get a 26th man. I have not seen any word as of yet as to who the 26th man for the, uh, for the Cubs is going to be. But both the Cubs and the Pirates get to use a 26th man. It could be that they're going to activate Kimbrell and just not send any pitcher down here. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if that's what they do. As uh, word has gotten out that they are going to activate Craig Kimbrell. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Got another 25 minutes or so to take your phone calls right here on Hit and Run. At 670, the score. At Hit and Run 670. At Matt Spiegel 670. If you want to tweet at me. And you can text me, as some of you are, at 67011. Let's keep the interaction going. Keep the conversation going about the Cubs, about the White Sox last night, the White Sox and the Angels, and your Jason Benetti and Friends broadcast weekend continues. And uh, i got a couple highlights I want to play you from the minor league system for the White Sox before we get out of here as well. Let's talk to Mark in Michigan City before we take a break right here on 670 The Score. What's happening, Mark? How are you? Hey, Matt. Good talking to you again. Uh, enjoyed the last segment with your guest, Steve. It was a wonderful segment. I chimed in was about half over, mm-hmm. but I, I totally agree with one of his last comments. Uh, a lot of uh, some uh, professional baseball players, after they retire, uh, a big stiff suit comes to them with a big check, and they play this great game, this, uh, this great game of baseball, honor and privilege to play as a professional, and they kind of go to the other side, and it and, and seems like uh, they, they take up the side uh, you know, and I don't want to get too political or whatever, but it's not social humanitarian's uh, side. It, it's the other side. And I want to I want to commend Anthony Rizzo for the work he does as a social humanitarian for the betterment of his community. And Steve and the organization he explained mm-hmm. and your work and Danny, Dan McNeil's work uh, with Turning Point. And uh, I, I, you know, uh, keep up the good work in that. I enjoy what you're saying, Matt. And one last thing on Chris Bryant. I know it's a smaller sample size, but in five years, what Chris Bryant reminds me of is a uh, Paul Molitor with a, a little better speed and running ability and a, and a the launch angle quicker bat. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the call um, and the kind words. I do not do uh, near the amount or nor quality of charitable work, as my last guest, Steve Albini. Now, what he and his wife do is truly amazing. And what Mac has done for years and years with Turning Point is fabulous as well. So I will, I will channel your kudos through me and beyond me onto them. Uh, that's for sure. As for your Chris Bryant, Paul Molitor thing, it's funny you bring up Molitor. Uh, Ron Coomer played with Molitor and will still tell you tales and tell you that Paul Molitor is the best ball player he ever played with and one of the best all-around ball players he's ever seen as a base runner, as a defender, um, as a hitter, just so wise, so smart, the instincts off the chart in every possible way. And, and Bryant does absolutely have some of that in him. Bryant is a beautiful base runner to watch. Absolutely beautiful. I played something here on Hit and Run, what, a couple weeks ago, right? When Pat Hughes 
had talked about, you know, Bryant uh, as a base runner, he, he, he cuts those angles so well. And then Bryant, uh, you know, proceeded to score from second on a, a fairly short single. And I don't know if anybody else on the team would have scored from second. I mean, maybe Javi as a base runner. But Bryant is such a wonderful base runner. Defensively, he has certainly had his issues, that's for sure. But Molitor was a truly great player. Sometimes you can see really, truly great hitters, and you just know they're going to get things done. I mean, there was a moment last night in this White Sox and Angels game when, uh, you know, Mike Trout had struck out twice against Hector Santiago. Santiago stays. Private Santiago had struck out Mike Trout twice, and then he came up for the third time, and this was against Evan Marshall in the seventh inning. Uh, and can you grab that highlight, Zach Withers? This is Trout it, with the bases loaded, and at, at that point in the in the game it was five to two, and, and and the bases ended up being loaded for the Angels. And Mike Trout is coming up, and I'm watching the game, enjoying Jason Benetti and Michael Shore doing the broadcast. And Trout is up there, and you just know, you know that he's he's not going to give you another bat at bat. He's Mike Trout. He's he's not going to strike out again against the righty, and in, it's just. It's just a matter of time before he does his thing. And, and on the very first pitch against Evan Marshall, he did his thing. Has the team ever just given up and said we quit? That's Bill Walton. <laughs> One out, bases loaded. Trout lines it to left field. Jimenez isn't going to get there. One run is home. Here comes the second one, and it is five to four. The Sox lead is trimmed to one. Mike Trout on the very first pitch, and it wasn't really even a strike. It was just, it, it was inside and low, and he turned on it and just yanked it down the line very hard for a single. Could have easily gone by the outfielder and cleared the bases. Instead, it scored two runs, and it's five to four. And that dude is just so ridiculous, so so absolutely incredible. And, and you knew, you knew in that moment. And they showed his, his numbers with the bases loaded this year. My God, Trout with the bases loaded this year. I think now he has 16 RBIs with the bases loaded. He's hitting over 500 with the bases loaded. Isn't that, It's fun when some of the really good players are really good, either in the clutch or with runners on. See Bryce Harper's numbers in the, in the clutch and with runners on of late? Also, Chris Bryant's, by the way. Uh, much has been made of that, of Bryant not getting it done. But Bryant, when it's late and close, and Bryant from the seventh inning on, has been uh, absolutely terrific over the course of the year. With, with runners on base this year, Bryce Harper has an OPS of 1.106. <laughs> it's just outrageous. And, and some of the very best players in baseball are the guys up there. Josh Bell is an OPS over 1,000 with runners on base. That's how he leads the world in RBIs. Nolan Arenado has an OPS over 1,000, over one. Freddie Freeman with an OPS over one. DJ LeMayhew, Anthony Rendon, Cody Bellinger. Gio Urshela of the Yankees. What a story he is. What a story that entire lineup is. So, yeah, sometimes it is just the very best players. But it, it's, I, I love it when I see that, uh, that some of these guys are just, they're just doing it. They're just rising. A few more minutes. Take your phone calls and your texts at 670 612 644 
is the phone number. I want to talk about tunneling a little bit before we get out of here when we come back. I want to play you a highlight from a guy who I sure hope to see in September, and we may or we may not. We are Sports Radio 670, The Score. We are broadcasting to you live from the Hyundai Studios right here on The Score. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Test drive a new Hyundai. Get a $50 reward card. Terms apply. Back with one more segment on 670, The Score. As an umpire, as that ball leaves the yard. Moncada with a smash. Moncado, that one's gone. Palacalle. Caballeros. Palacalle. For Moncada, his first home run here in this rehab assignment. And it puts the Caballeros ahead one to nothing. That is Yoan Moncada with a homer last night in Charlotte. The Knights set a single-season home run record, the White Sox AAA affiliate, as, uh, boy, ball just flying around in the big leagues and the minor leagues as well. One more highlight to give you from Charlotte involves the man who just does not strike out, makes a ton of contact, and sometimes it's good for lots of bases. This is Nick Madrigal last night. Moss is 6-6. Here's a high fly ball to center. Hit well. Velasquez going back. It's over his head. He dives for it. Can't get it. He's shaken up. Madrigal on his way to third. They're going to wave him around. Madrigal for the inside the park home run. He's got it. His first AAA home run. He circles the bases on a drive over the head of Andrew Velasquez in center field, who was playing exceptionally shallow. And Nick Madrigal knocked it over his head. And then Velasquez diving for the ball, knocked the wind out of himself, I believe. Couldn't get up to get it. And Madrigal circles the bases and has an inside-the-park home run. So there it is, uh, Nick Madrigal with an inside-the-park home run. Um, I would really like to see Nick Madrigal here. I would like to see Luis Robert here. And I think you could argue that it is sensible to bring up at least Robert, in my mind, for the White Sox. Um, but it does not appear that that is going to be the case. According to James Fegan in The Athletic, he does not expect to see that happen, Luis Robert, uh, coming up. But there is, there, is no, there is no scenario in which next year happens where they break camp and, and, and Luis Robert is not in their minds as the, as the starting center fielder. I, I mean, they could play the service time game, but I just think with their history of locking guys up that you're going to see Luis Robert as the opening day center fielder, and I sure would like to see him earlier than that in September. I've gone over the reasons. We'll see as it develops, and thankfully we'll be here on some Sundays continuing on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. I wanted to get uh, you some Jason McLeod from yesterday. Jason McLeod, the uh, Cubs scouting director and the man in charge of the minor leagues these days, was on with me and Bruce Levine yesterday, and we talked about the hitters. Because as you look around baseball and really around the Cubs lineup, you see a lot of hitters who are launch angle guys, power guys, who are then, they try to then teach them how to be situationally savvy, how to become contact guys as well. And I wondered, as we talked to McLeod, uh, if that's asking too much of some of these guys to do just a little bit of everything from everybody in the lineup. I think hitters with, with all of the, the great technology that's out there and um, the coaching that's available, and we've seen guys make certain swing changes, uh, whether it be to get the ball in the air more, to drive the ball in the air more. I, I think hitters have uh, some, some innate tendencies about them. And you know, generally speaking, you're not going to find too many guys that, that swing and miss a lot on their way up the, the, the latter that suddenly aren't going to be swinging and missing too much. 
Um, I think you have seen guys that do make a concerted effort with, with uh, two strikes, like you said, whether it's be to choke up or take that B hack, uh, to go up there and compete and to go up there and to fight uh, to avoid the strikeouts, especially in, in situational um, situational hitting. But I think that, you know, the game itself, too, I mean, you're looking at you know, the 3-2 outcomes a lot, you know, with the walk, the homer, the strikeouts. Um, and that's you know, the era that we're in. Not that it's really enjoyable for a lot of baseball <laughs> fans to watch that. <laughs> but, right. you know, certainly I think as we're in the draft, I think as we're in the international market or even for scouting, I mean, we, we all want to find guys who can control the strike zone for sure. Um but we're also in an era where, where, where players are trying to get the ball in the air more. Players are trying to hit balls in the seats um, and, and trying to put up the quick runs on the board. And I think that's something we're, you know, we're still trying to hone and develop throughout the organization of you know, our, our organizational philosophy. Philosophy, excuse me, of uh, selective aggressiveness is one that we we do try to do damage early, but we want to be able to compete with two strikes and not just take the strikeout. That's Jason McLeod of the Cubs talking about overall their hitting philosophy. And uh, and what they are working on throughout the the minor leagues as they move guys towards the big leagues. I asked also McLeod yesterday about the pitching infrastructure, about if, if he wishes he had been able to deliver more arms from the draft and from the minor leagues to be helpful, especially in the bullpen for the Cubs. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think because of the, especially in the early years. And again, I understand that pitching comes from everywhere in the draft. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to say, well, it's because we didn't take pitching in the first round early on in, in our tenure here. But, but the reality is, yeah, we didn't, you know, we, we, we did focus on, on uh, position players early on in the, in the early rounds of the draft. And, and then yeah, I think you look at a year like 2016, um, you know, when we didn't pick until the third round, I mean, that's yeah, two rounds of, of right that we didn't even select, which is really tough. When you look at now where we are in the minor league system, um, you, know, you, you, you typically would be having guys ready to you know, make an impact on the team. And even though we didn't pick until the third round that year, I think when we look back when it's done, 2016 is going to be a pretty, pretty good draft for us. But um, I think part of it was the selection process, um, first and foremost. But like I was just saying, I think we've really made big strides over the last couple of years with our – implementation of, of R&D and you know, some data-driven um, decisions that we're making. And then I think our pitching infrastructure um, has really um, stepped forward under under Brendan Segarra, our, our pitching coordinator, and some of the things that we've been doing um, over the last couple of years in particular. So there's Jason McLeod talking about the pitching infrastructure. They have worked on and uh, started to adapt to some trends going around baseball, and they've got their pitch lab that they have used extensively in the spring. Um, and some success stories have come out of that pitch lab and out of the recent development, whether it is Kyle Ryan or yesterday's closer, Rowan Wick. Wick is a fascinating story, uh, a guy who learned a breaking ball yesterday. That's it. Uh, last year. Okay, not yesterday, but last year. But he learned the breaking ball last year. And here he is throwing that breaking ball and pairing it with the fastball and getting the job done in the ninth inning yesterday for his first career save. It is Cubs-Pirates tonight. Uh, pre-game starts at, at 5.30. Can't wait to hear Zach Zabin talk about their day in Williamsport at the Little League Classic. Looks really, really fun. Anthony Heron and Mark Grody are up next. And they've got football news. Um, the untimely death of a former Bear is one story. And also we have... A cut. We have a roster cut of consequence. 
coming out of Bears camp. They will break it down for you next, that's for sure. Thank you to my guests, Chris Kampka from NBC Sports Chicago and Steve Albini. That was really, really fun. If you're a music guy or even if you're not, if you want to hear uh, me and Albini, especially the 10 o'clock hour, go to uh, find the podcast via the radio.com app or um, you find Hit and Run on the score, Sports Radio 670. Zach Withers, great job with a million plates to spin today. Thank you so much. Anthony Heron and Mark Grody are next. I'll be back with you next week on Hit and Run. Uh, also, I'm doing Cubs pre and post on Tuesday and Wednesday, so check me out over there. Have a great week, everybody. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T Mobile.com. 